passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, then load a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting with you for another week, another night coming off of a white hot edition of WWE Raw from what lucky city got this, this show tonight? Let's, uh, Washington DC, only the finest for the nation's capital. They got poker. They got Dominic. They got more poker. They got cold title matches. They got the OC. Akira Tozawa wrestled. And then at the end of the night, we had 30 minutes left for a 16 and a half minute women's match. And it ended. And here we are to talk about all of this white hot raw from Washington, D.C. Dude, it's going to be a long, long way until the rumble. Yeah. 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 This was, this was a bad show. It was, uh, it was very draining. Um, I was I, ready at one point when we were like 90 minutes into the show. Mm-hmm. I was seriously wondering, are they going to make it to the finish line? Are they going to make it to 11 o'clock? Like it just felt like they were just, Hey, it's Mustafa Ali. Want a title match? Like we got, we got segments to fill. Yeah. Like there was, Dude, for all you want to say, okay, if WWE was on AEW's schedule of doing five pay-per-views of the the year, mm-hmm. they are not – I don't care. Vince McMahon era, Paul Levesque era, these long gaps between major shows when they don't have a four-week cycle to peak for, yikes, dude. Like we've got eight weeks until the Rumble and, I mean, come back next week. We've got – Milwaukee, it's Alexa against Bailey. It's like all fine and good, but man, if you are wanting me to act inspired, I'm sorry. I do not have the acting chops for this. Yeah, I don't know if it, it I mean, it, it must be, I guess, because of the, you know, long length and pay-per-view cycle, but I feel like there, there are ways to build up to big editions of Raw that they could maybe do instead. This roster you know? is gigantic. This roster is huge. They have brought back everybody. We should not be having three hours of just a show where, like, first hour, cool, okay? Like, you got the tag title match, and then they did, what else here? The first triple threat match with the women. But, man, did this show just screech to a halt at that point. And it was just, dude, those poker segments were just 
I felt every one of those poker segments just stretched this show that mm. much further. And I was just absolutely just crawling to the end of this show. Yeah. Let, let's um, get on with our podcast so that we can get to that, the review sooner than later. I just want to do a check on you. How was your weekend? Well, it was good. Yeah, it was okay. You know, time off is, is usually good. No pay-per-views this weekend. So um, I had a good time um, taking fo- Christmas photos, actually, oh, with really? the baby for the first time. Uh, at home, at a location, like we like family. like with an actual at a studio with with yeah, we're doing like you know like an actual. Uh, I don't even think we're gonna send cards. It's just more what? probably for for Instagram. I it, it, the rush to to print and all that stuff that's just oh. too much hassle. So we'll we'll do we'll do some for family, but that's that's really it. Have uh have your wife contact mine about any recommendations for Christmas cards and just wait for the response. Oh, you guys have great like Christmas cards every single year. No, no. I I always look forward to the Pollock Christmas card. It's been a disaster this year. Okay. Really? Ours ours have been stuck at the border for uh, a long time. It's crazy. These, I'll get into these Christmas cards, which I have nothing to do, but boy, have I heard about these Christmas cards. They were like a hundred and some odd dollars for these cards this year. They get to the border and suddenly they want a duty of like 140 bucks. It's of like pretty course. much what the cards cost. They want the duty for. And the company did not disclose this at the beginning. It's like this hidden duty that, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know what it's going to be, but you're not expecting it to equal the amount you are paying for the physical product. Sometimes they, they might not even know either. Like sometimes I think it depends on the border, whether or not they might. I know, think, I think there is some of that. So it's this, um, tug of war between um the border and my wife to try and get these she's actually cards. trying to deal with the border to try to get off of this duty I've, charge i've overheard these phone calls and you oh, could goodness. not pay me enough to do i would have just okay no more christmas cards that's it i'm out this money e-cards I, this year no my my wife will not go down without a a just blood and guts fight with the border so i will keep well, you updated on that well i'll just say if i get a buy you know, local buy local that's that's the advice if if I get a Christmas card in January, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, we're probably going to be doing um Chinese New Year cards. I think they're going to be Ooh. repurposed. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I is there uh what, what is it what is it the year of that we are coming the up with? this year? The rabbit. Okay. How about that? How about it? I mean, it's the rabbit. The white rabbit. Huh. That's right. That's, That's right. Follow the QR code. Yes. Tricks are for border patrols. Okay, that's all I've got. Uh, this week, everyone, cafe shows, three of them coming at you. Rewind away Tuesday night, Friday night, rewind to SmackDown, and then Saturday, bonus time, cafe members, ROH, final battle post show, waiting alongside Kate from Montreal. More bang for your buck than Nick and Matt could give you on a weekly basis is what you get at postwrestlingcafe.com. I'm excited to chat with Way about this episode of Superstars from 1992 featuring the arrival of... Uh, Nails to the WWF. He is out after multiple warnings to the big boss man. He is free from prison and now he is coming for revenge and big boss man. He's not going to see it coming. Spoiler. Plus a curse has inflicted the ultimate warrior. How how is he dealing with this curse? Papa Shango is the only man that has the answers. So this will be. What a, what a turn back the clock time. I watched this and I'm like, I'm amazed that this is the era that 
I jumped onto on board. I'm so mm. glad I was eight years old because if I was 14, I, I, I would not be here right now. I would be doing a tennis podcast or something. Interesting. Cause the ultimate warrior vomiting via from the cursing, like was, was one of my very first memories of watching wrestling too. So this could very well, like, you know, be the first show I ever watched. Um, so actually. in my, in my, uh, schoolyard, you always have like the kid who just makes, makes stuff up and then it becomes urban legend and you accept it as fact. And we had this kid in our class who maintained that when Ultimate Warrior vomited on mm-hmm. the, the medical guy, mm-hmm. the guy died, that he died from the vomit. And it's like, I don't know if even at eight, I'm like, I don't know if that would kill you. I really don't. He's like, no, 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 he died. So in researching this show, okay. <laughs> The reason that I might have to call up uh, this, this this old friend is because <laughs> several weeks before this, Mr. Perfect let off the show the next week stating that he died. <laughs> he says this in the opening of the show. Really? Then later in the show, and I'm like, wow, they actually – it was like 30 years later this came back to me, this story. I was like, they actually said it on the air. He died. And then multiple segments later, Mr. Perfect repeats this. He's like, after the, after he died from the vomit and Vince McMahon this time, no, he did not. I was like, oh, okay. So it was reboot. It was a, it was, uh, uh, Mr. Perfect's, uh, heinous lie was called out by Vince McMahon, but it was on this episode, not on this one that we're going to review. It was on like a week or two prior, but so your you friend go. was telling the truth. This he was not lying, but we all were like, that's not true. That, that can't be. But he was, when you're a kid, you just are dead set on maintaining your, your truthfulness. And after 30 years, he was half right. I, I'm so glad you finally have that resolution. Um, I, I have not watched the show yet and I probably will uh, a bit later after we're done this. Uh, it is the May 30th, 1992 edition of WWE Superstars, WWF Superstars, I should specify yes yes let's get that uh let's get that underway yeah Um, so looking forward to that looking forward to talking about roh final battle those are both cafe exclusives at postwrestlingcafe.com also if you prefer to stick on the apple podcast platform and don't want to sign up at patreon.com with your custom rss we're doing a free trial for all apple podcast members if they so choose uh, just to kind of specify, because there might be a bit of confusion, you can still use Apple Podcasts if you're a Patreon member. There are just a lot of people who don't understand the process of down, uh, installing like a custom RSS to their Apple Podcast feed. So the Apple Podcast app allows people who don't want to do the custom RSS to do it. Uh, it is $2 more expensive because they take bigger fees. So we always recommend people signing up at Patreon, postwrestlingcafe.com. But people who prefer the convenience of Apple Podcasts, you could do that right on the app as well yes um i know that uh i I know that you know we are we are just in in the land of fortunes but if you can this holiday season help out apple um you know they're they're trying to get by so uh help out uh help out the company down there Mm -hmm. all right uh let's get into one more thing here uh nxt deadline that post show is going to be taking place this Saturday, it's a very busy Saturday between ROH, between UFC, and also, of course, NXT deadline. But our friends at Poison Rana mm-hmm. 
the BDE, you guys also may know as, they are going to be moving up next from their feed over to the post-wrestling feed. They're going to have way more shows on the Poison Rana feed, so stay subscribed to it, and you'll get a bunch of other bonuses. But in the meantime, NXT, their weekly review is going to move onto the post-wrestling main feed, and that starts off this Saturday with their review of NXT Deadline, the post-show will be on this feed and also on the YouTube. They'll be going live right at postwrestling.com or youtube.com slash postwrestling. So join those guys over there and uh, give all your support to Poison Rana at poisonrana.ca and also just on Poison Rana uh, via your podcast. Yes. Uh, and all those shows we will have post shows for this Saturday. Deadline, final battle, and then Sunday, Eric and I will have a UFC 282 uh, post show, which uh, lost another fight today with Robbie Lawler out of it. So we'll see who makes it to uh, to Saturday night in Las Vegas. But we will have you covered regardless at postwrestling.com. Also, if you go to forum.postwrestling.com, uh, we have put up our, our thread. It is time for the annual post wrestling jingle contest. Our Christmas show will be coming out on Friday. December 23rd. So the deadline to get your jingles in is Wednesday, December 21st. Okay. So you can post them in that thread or submit them. John at postwrestling.com. We ask them to be under two minutes. Uh, for Way Sanity, we prefer copyright free music. Uh, we want original, uh, jingles from you, the listener. So send them in. We will listen. Your jingle will definitely be played on the Christmas show and live judged by Way and I as we crown this year's jingle contest winner. Yeah, there's preference. I mean, um, preference for originality, of course, but you know, if you wanted to like people have done in the past, like covers of existing jingles, that's perfectly fine. I don't expect everybody to have the talent to, you know, write a new song, but of course we will, um, you know, put that into consideration if you do. All right. Uh, we will remind you about that before the deadline, a lot of deadlines in December. Mm Hmm. Yes, what a theme. Okay, bit of news items to get to here. Uh, first of all, we want to wish our best to uh, Barry Windham, who is uh, recovering. Uh, he's he's in ICU right now um, with an update from his niece, uh, Micah Rotundo, who had posted uh, a GoFundMe campaign for Barry Windham. He apparently had a heart attack in a, an Atlanta airport on Friday, went into cardiac arrest. And that's about the extent of what we know. But, you know, being in ICU, this is obviously a very uh, critical uh, situation that Barry Windham is in. He is in his 62 years of age, uh, somebody that uh, in his prime, I mean, one of the most naturally gifted performers, had multiple runs in the World Wrestling Federation in Florida with Jim Crockett promotions, later with WCW and, uh, you know, uh, very well remembered matches with with Ric Flair. I mean, anyone that... Uh, has studied Barry Windham's past, obviously a very well-respected uh, performer. So we wish him the best. Um, very scary situation happening over the weekend, and it's it, it's always it's it's always heartbreaking as well when you know we have s- seen these incidents way where somebody is battling for their life, and then it's also the the the, the medical the, the financial burden that that comes with it, and it's uh, I'm, I'm fortunate with a lot of these performers that. They are left where, you know, in in this case, someone that is, you know, clinging to life. And then you have that uh, attached to it that, you know, you do have these outlets like uh, GoFundMe. But it, it's always like it, it's a double whammy that the last thing you want to be worrying about is is finances on on top of, you know, you, something that could be life life affecting uh, in terms of uh, a heart attack like this. Well, anytime I hear about something like this, I mean, I, I just I'm all the more grateful that um, we 
don't have to worry as much about something like this being in a in our country. Um, I, I just really can't imagine, you know, the increased stress and burden of uh, having to worry about something like that. Um, so we'll ho- hopefully he uh, makes a full recovery, regardless of, uh, uh, you know, the, the financial burden of it all. But um, we'll we'll see. We'll see about this one. Yeah. So all the best to uh, Barry Windham and the Windham family. Uh, I guess the uh, the most notable uh, news coming out of, of the weekend, at least from a um, on-screen perspective, is the future of William Regal, where um, multiple outlets reporting that it looks like William Regal is done with AEW and uh, PW Insider uh, being the first to report that it appears he will be back in WWE in a backstage position uh, in the new year. So it looks like last Wednesday was the likely writing off of William Regal, unless they do some kind of a follow-up this week. But it looks like Regal is done, and he is going back to WWE. And with that knowledge, Way, how would you assess how how this was handled in terms of removing him? But in, in the meantime, you know, figuring him in very prominently uh, into your your main story with John Moxley and MJF. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I, I, there's still a whole lot of mystery and I still, I think still a whole lot of questions surrounding, you know, what exactly this contract was. It's sort of unprecedented to have somebody come in for less than a year and, you know, be able to make an exit like this. So, I mean, there's two options. It was either, you know, Regal had stated it was a three year deal. If that was the case, then he's being let out early or there was some provision or it was a shorter trim deal than he was um, stating publicly. I mean, those, those are your options here. So um, the provisions you know. are probably the most interesting to me. You know, the, the, um, some of the, the reporting has, is, is indicating that the, the, there might be some sort of clause about triple H um, getting into power and somehow that triggering some sort of, um, you know, provision that would allow him to leave that I would find quite remarkable. Um, if that's the case, and I wonder if we'll ever. How, even how could you even have out. that? How could you even have that foresight at the time he came into this company? I I don't know. I mean, we again don't know the specifics. It could be as simple as you know Triple H coming back into power uh, for the Performance Center or something. I, I we 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 can only speculate because because we don't exactly know. But just the idea that this is actually happening, it's, it looks like, is quite wild to me, and just seems to you know cap off uh, a year of a lot of unprecedented news. Um, but you know, oh, it's, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, of all the, like, the moves that were made, like eliminating Paul Levesque's mentor and somebody that was, you know, as close to him as anyone, like, is that not the the loudest message that that came during all those waves of cuts that William Regal was one of those? I mean, outside of Sean, I would say like there would be, and there was a vital reason they needed Sean, but you know, it's. Like that was a very loud message, and I thought it at the time, and I think in hindsight, like the first opportunity that Paul Levesque has, he's bringing him right back into mm-hmm. into the company. We we just didn't know what that first opportunity would have been, and uh, you know, evidently it's it's less than a year into this AEW run. So, getting back to your question about you know how it was handled via creative, um, I wonder if like when when they knew about it, you know, like how how far, um into this bcc run um did how much when they set out to to create the bcc how much did they actually you know accomplish of what they set out to do before having to to wrap up at least you know william regal's involvement in it i think using him as the reason why um mjf turned 
and then the reason sorry the the reason why i guess mjf um beat moxley i should say um you you can't really kind of you know put him in a more prominent role William Regal, you know, then something like that, you know, the finish of your world title match in the main event. And now furthering that and using Regal as sort of like the reason why Brian Danielson might want to get back in MJF. I think you're really maximizing the value that you have with William Regal on his way out. And I think you're doing it in a pretty respectful manner. There, it's not like they're burying him or anything like that. And, and I don't. Oh, see quite, any quite the opposite. I, w- I would say. Yeah. Like he, uh, like, look at the talent that have come in over this last year. And William Regal was out there every week. He was on commentary every week. I mean, this was somebody that was heavily, heavily utilized on screen. And you could certainly argue, you know, the, the different ways that you could have gone about it. You could have used Regal as sort of the sacrificial lamb in the lead up to MJF and Moxley. But at that point, you were building up MJF as a babyface or at least a pseudo babyface. And that did not work for where they were going. Coming out of it. Your options were Moxley gaining his revenge, and instead of telling Regal to run for the hills last week, it could have been just this big showdown at the end end of the show, and Moxley, like, you have some dramatic ending. Maybe he shanks him in a prison. <laughs> um, yeah, they chose not to not to run him off that way. You know, I kind of like the way Moxley left things with with Regal, though. You know, it was it was just the type of thing where um, he didn't need to physically get his hands on the guy in order to have closure like like he told him off told him to run away as as far as he could and um and you could see like the heartbreak within moxley in that particular setting and and i thought that that felt that felt satisfyingly conclusive enough to me without some sort of physical attack yeah it's like i i don't know how utilizing regal just so prominently it's like for moxley if moxley's the ultimate like rematch for MJF. It's almost as though like Regal's now out of the picture. It, Moxley does not have the same, you know, he is not fighting on behalf of Regal like Danielson is. So it's, you know, you could, you could certainly move the pieces around, but, 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 but MJF still fucked him over. You know, you can argue MJF was the reason the mentor turned on, on Moxley. So he, he could still have, have that crudge. We still don't know why Regal turned on Moxley. Yeah, that is something they did not. That was a big hole last week, and I hope that this Wednesday that part is explained. And but how? Like, I mean, you I, have, I you don't have think MJ you can see it. Regal again. I think it really limits the impact of last week's angle if we hear from Regal. Like that should have been the last we ever see of Regal is last week and him taken out on a stretcher and mm-hmm. he's never brought back. Um, yeah, but we'll the- see. That that's a major hole. Is why Regal did that. Because I thought that that was what we would get a week ago, um, right? When they did the segment, did the with email like indicate any reasoning? Like the email was really just about like him encouraging MJF to like be the best villain of all time. Um, didn't really say anything about like you know his, his like could it be just that like he was cheering for MJF so much he that that kind of you know exceeded whatever. Well, you're, you're yeah, doing the, their job for them. Like they haven't indicated any of that. Like that needs to be yeah. fleshed out somewhat. And again, to explain it now is to what end? Like there's no pay- payoff there. Like to come out and Regal has this whole list of reasons he turned on Moxley. Well, there's no, there's no follow up there for Moxley to gain his revenge on Regal. I mean, MJF would be the revenge. You know, you would, you'd be ta- taking it out on him. But, but I mean, you might be better off not even kind of revisiting the whole Regal aspect of it anymore. Yeah. Um, 
I think, I think it's now you're, you're moving on to life after Regal and hopefully the Danielson as the surrogate gains something from that, that he is fighting. But at the same time, like your audience is not going to be as sympathetic for this cause that Danielson is fighting on behalf of because he just saw Regal screw your top baby face. So it's yeah. like they really did get muddied along the way. And I do think that there is some course correction here that the turn by Regal sort of like it, it, it you, you could argue that MJF just taking out Regal, um, s- minus the turn, um, you know, could you have still got to that destination and had a bit more sympathy for Regal as opposed to the guy that kind of got what was coming for him, but got it from the top heel instead of the top babyface? The whole, you know, MJF uh, being a pseudo babyface in the lead up to the to the to full gear. Um, I I think it made for interesting television. It made for like uh, some unpredictability when heading into full gear. Um, and maybe that was sort of like a worthy exchange, you know, rather than a straightforward him attacking Regal type of story. Um, but yeah, coming out of it, maybe they, they have a little bit of, you know, course correcting. I will say, I think all the segments that Regal has been involved in, especially the ones with MJF have been so strong that I, I'm not like as sort of like, um, caught up in, you know, the, the, how tight the story is like, because the segments have been so great, the, the reactions have been so great. I'm almost just kind of like, I still see it as a pretty hot program, you know, with everything involving Mox and MJF and Brian. Friday night SmackDown. Uh, did 902,000 viewers and a .25 in the 18 to 49 demo. They were moved over to FS1 this week because of the Pac-12 championship, which did a huge number on Friday, 6.2 million viewers in the SmackDown time slot. Um, so SmackDown was fifth for the night among cable originals. They went against the Lakers, Milwaukee Bucks game, and it, it was up, up by not, not a huge margin by, but at least a, a small one from the last time they were on FS1 back in October during the World Series. So that was our one-week move to FS1, and they are back to Fox uh, later on this week. The more focused-upon number was Rampage on Friday night, which did 361,000 viewers and a .08 in the 18-49 demo, number 60 among cable originals. This was the lowest 18-49 audience in the history of Rampage. Not just the history in their normal time slot, the history of the show. This was down from a .11 they did last week at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So after I was stating, man, this would kill the show to move them to four. I mean, the comparison, <laughs> may, maybe that's a better move for them at in, this point. In hindsight, like the move to four might have been better off having taken place on Friday. How much How much do you think um, the SmackDown replay might have played? So that was FS1 aired SmackDown, according to the schedule, like three times. Like there was the live broadcast and then immediately after and again at midnight. So I like we don't get the replay numbers. Um, we will see if that if that comes out. But that certainly could have taken a chunk out of it. Um, they were going against this this Pac-12 game and the, the bigger NBA game, which was the Bulls and Warriors. But I mean, yes, there was competition and there was a SmackDown um, head to head. Well, the, the replay of SmackDown and, you know, being on FS1, there probably were fewer people um, watching the live broadcast, obviously, than than the Fox one. At the same time, like this, this was not a big lineup for Rampage, and this would be one that I would not just be chalking this up as this was one week. Like this, this was a really, really bad number. They, um, Brandon Thurston has the breakdown of the quarters, and that third quarter, uh, which had the Athena Danny Mo match and the end of the tag match with Jared and Lethal against Private Party, dude, it fell to like 
88,000 viewers in the demo. Like these are just crazy low numbers. Um, they did have a lower lead in than usual with uh, Attack of the Clones. It turns out Elf is a much better lead in than Attack of the Clones. Um, but listen, this is an overall trend with, with Rampage and it's hitting like really bad numbers. And I think you're burying your head in the sand to just say, Oh, this was one week. This was a bad week. This was at the end of the day, it was like a show where, uh, with all due respect, like QT Marshall in, in the main event and a lineup that obviously was not that attractive to people. Like this is a first run rampage against a replay of SmackDown. And it's like, this was just a historically low number. It was the third lowest viewers. It was the lowest viewership at 10 PM third lowest uh, ever. Um, I believe third or mm. fourth lowest ever with uh, some other shows that aired outside of the time slot. So I, I don't think you can um, shine this one up. Like it was just, it was a really bad number on Friday. Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we, you and I in reviewing rampage have, have kind of said, been, we've been talking about sort of like a decline in importance over the past year repeatedly. And I think um, we're certainly not the only ones. So, Despite all that, like I, I haven't seen any strategic change in Tony Khan and the way he books AEW Rampage. The only difference might be the occasional sort of like, you know, Japanese legend coming in for uh, some, some sort of like special attraction match built off of like three days notice. Or in the case of Akiyama, yeah, yeah, okay, three, like you know, like very short notice. Um, but like as far as like you know, trying to improve a rating and maybe trying to capture a more main, mainstream audience, I've seen sort of no like you know, uh, intention in, in the booking from Tony Khan to, to change course for Rampage. Um, do we think that, you know, this number will alarm him enough to do something about it or not? This would be one for me. Like there, there have been several bad numbers for Rampage, but this to me would be a sort of like, what, what, what are we trying to get out of this show as we are, you know, you would look at an hour of valuable original programming that, is paramount to the success of like what where are wrestling companies making money right now it's it's producing original content that i would want to be beefing up my two hour like dynamite's in very good shape i don't think anyone is looking at that as something that needs any kind of refresh but rampage it's it's quite the opposite and i think that you have a combination that a title match on top i think they have greatly watered it down so that a all-atlantic title match that is not going to be a benefit of what you hope a championship would be. And, mm. and that just comes like next week we are getting like the, you know, the Hikaru Shida the and wave. the bunny for the, uh, the, the wave championship on, on rampage like that, that is not going to move the needle either. Yeah. 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 Um, again, uh, one of the big questions I think we'll have towards the end of the year is really assessing what the year has been for Tony Khan. Cause I think a lot more of his flaws in his booking are really starting to appear by year's end. Uh, and Rampage is, you know, the number for Rampage is, is sort of like a visual representation of, of, of a lot of what he's doing is not working. Again, Dynamite is perfectly fine, but why can't we have some of that importance on Rampage? You know, just a little bit. Is it is it the Ring of Honor inclusion? I mean, th th that's been a bigger topic of conversation this week than ever with the pay-per-view coming up on Saturday. Um, is it the watering down of the titles because of the Ring of Honor inclusion? Uh, or is it just his booking style in general? And And is it also, as you are preparing for the new year like the idea of he gets an ROH show and you're adding more uh to to his plate I mean that's 
that that's a lot of booking and every booker does does hit a wall at at, at a certain point and he has had a lot of curveballs to deal with th- this mm-hmm. year this has been uh, a very trying year when you figure like what what the rest of his year was planned coming out of double or nothing when punk won the title and then had the foot injury like just go back to that point yeah. and everything that has happened since may i mean it is um but that's that's part of the industry is that you are going to get things that throw plans into into the ether and you've got to reset. Very true, John. At the same time, his roster is big enough that I think, you know, even without a punk, let's say even without the elite and and, and, and the Bucks, I, I Rampage should be better than what it is. You know? Like the the exclusion of like four talents isn't going to five talents isn't going to change, I think, you know, what you might see atop a card. Um, even if they were around, something tells me that I don't think we'll be seeing CM Punk on Rampage, yeah. you know? So. I mean, I, I look at this graphic here and I would say that it is overall, I think it's a perception issue that Rampage is now like you have to turn the public's attitude of Rampage around. Like you look at this, you're putting Sting on here. Like there's a Darby match. There's a title match. Yeah, the Sting was in, the, in the corner of Darby Allen. He, he was hardly involved. It's right? it's to me, though, it's. Like, I don't think you're even at a point now. Like, yes, you can hotshot something. You could have thrown a elite match onto a rampage, but I think it's a larger perception issue now with rampage. Whereas mm-hmm. the average viewer, like dynamite is not, it's not the greatest lineup this Wednesday, but I feel like they have conditioned your audience that Wednesday night is my night. I am going to watch AEW and you are going to have to work really hard to break that habit for people. I think that habit has been broken for a lot of people on Friday nights. And that it's it's become a show that it's it's one that you can miss and you're you're not going to be the worse off for it. Yeah, it has been. What's it going to take to change that perspective uh, per- perception? A live sixty minute musical edition. I think a poker game would help. Poker could can it ever go wrong in a professional wrestling mm-hmm. setting? That is the question. GCW has announced dates for Canada. They're partnering up with the IWS promotion out of Montreal. They are going to be doing uh, March 11th in Montreal. They set this up uh, over the weekend with a Nick Gage sending in a video and he's bringing his friends. And then the following weekend on Sunday, March 19th, they are going to the Opera House for their Toronto debut, the site of Ring and Ears some uh, two decades ago, now home to GCW. So uh, making their Canadian debut. Um, I think both Montreal has a very thriving independent scene. Um, just uh, the IWS show over the weekend, um, Pat LaProd noted drew over 600 fans, which is a very good attendance. Um, I, and I do feel their Toronto debut, they will do very well. The Opera House is not a gigantic uh, venue. They will do very well there. It's good for GCW. I think it's a good size. It, it's, it's crowd. the perfect kind of vibe that GCW wants in, yeah. in this market. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm, Pretty sure I will I will go to the show because I think it'll be a very interesting um, response that they get here in Toronto in in a good way. And Nick Gage on the show? He's on the um, I, I believe so. Yeah, they haven't announced matches and stuff, but the video was like they're invading IWS for that Montreal show, and Nick Gage is kind of leading it. So I imagine if he's on one, he's on both. I guess like with him, I I I, I would even be curious, like you know, what the border uh, like would be like with with his record, of course. But um, it, it, they must be confident enough that it'd be fine. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, it's a, it's a great professional wrestling market, Toronto. 
Um, and GCW, you know, for a period, like really felt like outside of AEW and, and WWE, like the hottest wrestling company that's out there. So I mean, this time last fun. year, I mean, they had announced a Hammerstein show and that was, mm-hmm. you know, a huge deal for them uh, going to that. And I, I think they were like, they, they certainly did have like some momentum loss after, after that big show and a bit, mm-hmm. a bit of a come down. Um, but yeah, those, those should be very big shows for them next year uh, coming up to Canada. And uh, just a few other notes here. Uh, TJ Dillashaw has notified the UFC of his retirement. So this was kind of a surprising note because he fought in October at UFC 280, and we had just discussed this with the whole um, uh, betting scandal over over the over on Friday on Rewind to SmackDown. But uh, TJ Dillashaw, who is not really linked to this betting scandal, but it's uh you know sort of a symptom of the bigger issue, had a terrible shoulder injury going into that fight, and you know it, it, the shoulder popped out like twice during the fight. And then afterwards, when he lost Aljamain Sterling noted that he had this injury back in April, he sustained it, went through the camp and then went into this fight and pretty much had no prayer of winning this fight and said that his arm, his shoulder popped out like something like 20 times during his camp. And you're just wondering like, man, like how are you going? Like, is this the, the UFC was not aware of this, the, this injury going in, but it was one where, you know, you're you're selling a fight and it was like here was a guy who was so severely compromised in, in this fight. So, you know, he went through with this fight and for TJ Dillashaw, here's a guy that lost two years in his prime because of the of, of a drug test failure in 2019, comes back in 2021, wins his fight, but blows out his knee. So he loses another year and then gets this title fight. So you can certainly see the financial incentive to not pull out from a fight. But. Here is the check coming due on that is his surgeon said this is one of the worst shoulders that he has ever had to deal with. And he told TJ that you've got a he had surgery a month ago and he's got a long road to recovery. And Ariel Hawani reporting that, you know, at the end of it all, you might need another surgery. So at least now he could always reverse his decision sometime down the road. But as of now, he is retiring at the age of 36, which is unfortunate, like this shoulder injury that may end his career at a, you know, not not the youngest age for a bantamweight, but one where he certainly had quality fights left in him at a healthy 100 percent, which he was not going into that Aljamain Sterling fight. But here was a guy, certainly the 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 uh, drug test failure will, will stick with his legacy. But here was a guy, a two-time bantamweight champion and uh, didn't win Ultimate Fighter, but made it to the finals and was one of the real big standout um, wrestlers who became a terrific striker, uh, working out a team alpha male and with Dwayne Ludwig before that falling out with the camp. But someone who unseated Henan Barrow and... You know, and regain the title um, years later as well at UFC 217 when he beat uh, Cody Garbrandt. So he he had a very solid career, um, but unfortunately, it was the last few years with the suspension and then the injuries that certainly uh, took took years out of his out of his prime you know career years. The life of a prize fighter is is not easy. Even when you feel like you've you know reached the very top, it's like you keep staying up there and and, and your earning potential. Um, greatly diminishes i think the more you pile on those injuries and, and through training and and performance so you, you can only hope that he's got plenty of you know smart investments and businesses that can um you know keep keep the rest of his career uh, alive without actually being in the ring and the last things uh we'll, we'll note here is nxt on tuesday night we have two 
triple threat matches to determine the wild card spots in the Iron Survivor Challenge matches. Wendy Chu will take on Indy Hartwell and Fallon Henley. Axiom takes on Von Wagner and Andre Chase. Pretty Deadly will present a real Christmas story. And these these videos from Pretty Deadly have usually been pretty entertaining. So hopefully this is a uh, this is very uh rich in comedy. And then Grayson Waller will interview all the Iron Survivor Challenge participants. Tony D'Angelo makes his return. So this is our go-home show for Deadline coming up on Saturday. And then AEW on Wednesday, the updated lineup. Acclaimed and FTR for the tag titles. Samoa Joe against Darby Allen for the TNT title. The Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager taking on Claudio and Wheeler Yuta. Jade Cargill and the Baddies against Kiera Hogan, Madison Rain, and Sky Blue. John Moxley will speak and the one week anticipation. The, the countdown will strike zero. Tony Schiavone, Jamie Hader, sit down one on one. The interview you have all waited for that you were denied last week. You will get it this Wednesday. Or so we think. Oh, could they dare put it mm-hmm. off for another week? Maybe. Oh, what if someone interrupts no. the interview? I would be furious as a consumer. I think you got to put that on pay per view eventually. All of your news can be found up at postwrestling.com. A lot, a lot going on tonight. Just a wild, uh, a wild day of news, way. Just, just so oh, much yeah. coming. Fast I, thought you, I thought you were about to talk about Raw because a lot went on. Um, not a lot went on on Raw. I should. Say. I, I could get through this Raw in about ten minutes. I think yeah. uh, Washington D.C. the Capital One Arena. Do you know what's significant about this arena? No. The very first episode of Dynamite from this arena. Okay. Great. That uh, was it. Kevin Smith was in attendance for. And then they, and then they t- and then WWE told him not to come for SmackDown that week. I, I man, I have no recollection. I'll take your word for it. Have you seen Clerks three yet? I haven't seen Clerks two. Oh really? No. You want me to come over? I got it on. Uh, I, I have it. Uh, that is that would be fun. Yeah, why not? Well, marathon have, Clerks. Do you have a DVD player set up? I I have a PlayStation three, so yes, okay. I do actually. I actually don't. I've got to watch it on like a laptop that doesn't have working speakers. I, I so mean, I, I don't know why we would need a DVD player. I'm sure I could find it on one of these streaming services. Yeah, it's um, I've got to kind of it's it's kind of it's a like hassle be, to watch a DVD now. It would also it wouldn't be HD. No, you know, unless you had a Blu-ray. In I, I can still watch Standard Def. I can still watch a movie. I watch. You know what movie I watched on the weekend? What's that? For the first time, The Karate Kid. Really? The first time? Okay. I had never seen it. I feel like I've seen it once. Yes. Have you seen Cobra? Have you been watching Cobra Kai or do you know Cobra Kai? No, but I was, uh, the, the first movie is like, it, it's a good movie. I just never, it was one of those I never saw. And I was, it's one that I've been asked enough times that I was like, let's, let's just check this one off. Yeah. And you, you liked it. I did like it. I can understand why there was a big karate craze coming out of this. Film. I looked at the, the numbers like this thing. They made it for like nothing. And they just pulled in coin in 1984. Oh, look, look, look at the franchise. It's, it's spawned. You know, it's still alive like decades later. Are yeah. you going to, are you going to follow up with the sequels? Um, I did, I did save, uh, Karate Kid 2 on my, on my DVR. So I might, I might you know, check Hillary out. Swank was in a Karate Kid. The ne- it was it the, uh, yeah, one of the, the spinoffs. So was, uh, Will Smith's kid. Like he did, he did one. They had was a bunch he? of spinoffs. The, yeah, the, are you, you going to watch it? them all? No, no, there's too many. And I, I don't think it's going to hold my attention for too many. I might watch the second one. I hear a Cobra Kai I've heard is just nothing but fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I was never really a big fan of like the whole franchise, but I, I love the concept of it. And I, I could 
tell if I was that much deeper into Karate Kid lore. I would love Cobra Kai, but um, I'm glad to see you check one off your list, John. Anything else you want to talk about before we get to this? Anything? Uh, What'd you have for dinner? Have you had dinner yet? I have, yeah. I had some curry. Okay. My mother-in-law made. My mother-in-law comes by and on the weekends and, and does some cooking for us. It was delicious. Um, with, with some rice. Okay. And, I had rice uh, too for dinner. Yeah. Oh, nice. Like uh, I got a big jug of water. I've been trying to drink more water lately. So I got one of these gallons. Oh, damn. Like, yeah. look at yours. Wow. I'm behind. You know, it tells you what time of day you're supposed to be at. I'm way behind. So Wow. You, you've got a... <laughs> you think I'll uh, finish by the end of the show? Let's see. Let's see. Um, yeah, I got about a half gallon. No, there, there's no way you could finish that and not have to pee. It's kind of awkward to drink, like. Yeah, that, that thing's huge. Like, yeah, I, th- I think like, you could, uh, you could fill your car with that. Look at that. It's like you're, uh, yeah. it's like you're, you're, uh, you're a pro fighter. You know what? Um, there's a vacancy. I, I, I guess I, I, I don't know if I want to work for the UFC. Unfortunately, they can't have me. The bloodline <laughs> showed up at the building. They were here to defend their tag titles against Riddle and Elias. Riddle sped by them on a scooter, and then Elias came out, so they beat the shit out of Elias, and thus took him out of the tag title match. I was not complaining. So the bloodline come out, and they state, well, the tag match is canceled because Solo destroyed Elias. But Riddle comes out and says it's not very oozy of them to run from a fight, which prompts Sami Zayn to say, quote, yo, 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 my dog. Riddle does not decide what's Usi. Zane does as a certified Usologist. Which I think was Sami Zayn pushing the limits of the Usi um, vernacular. Hey, listen, listen. I know we're starting this review off on a bit of a negative tone. What are you talking about? I This and, was awesome. And I think like John, you know, like here, just listening to John's recap, you would think it would be awful. But. I have to say anything Sami Zayn and the bloodline touches as even material like that, that would not sound great written down on, on a piece of paper. I, I loved, and this crowd seemed to love as well. I thought it was hilarious. Well, he tells Riddle to go home, but Riddle has found a tag partner. So tonight it will be Matt Riddle and Kevin Owens challenging the Usos for the undisputed tag team championship, a certain upgrade, uh, a definite upgrade to the match. They both have, you know, they have a similar look. They're brunettes. They have big beards. It looks like Owens. Um, he was almost like playing the role of uh, Elias's uh, long lost cousin or something. Yeah, that's right. They had the big storyline while Vince was still here. So they note that the winners of this match will defend the undisputed tag titles this Friday against Sheamus and Butch, as Drew McIntyre is medically disqualified, which he noted uh, on Monday. So no information beyond that about what's going on with Drew. He was not at SmackDown on Friday, so we have not seen him since War Games. Um, but that was the match they had announced on Friday. So obviously they expected Drew to be back by Friday, and he will not be. So instead, um, it'll be uh, Sheamus and his dog. Butch, yeah, taking the, taking the place, yeah. Cancellations all over the place here. Yes, a lot of uh, a lot of switches and, and changes. So they had the heat on Riddle um, after the second commercial break. We're just going to fast forward to this point. Riddle tags Owens. He lands a swanton to Jimmy and uh, picks the audience up. 
Jimmy stops a stunner, avoids a pop-up, super kicks Owens, and then Riddle is back in, sending Jimmy to the floor, and Owens and Sokoa go nose-to-nose on the floor, uh, teasing something there. Riddle lands a Pescado on Sokoa, and then Owens is taken out with a super kick on the floor, allowing the Usos to double-team Riddle and pin him with the 1D in 14 minutes and 6 seconds. I thought, you know, nice opener, and by the end of the show, I was um, wishing that this went like two hours or something. Um, it might have, I mean, you'll, you'll, this probably, was, a, this was a heavy front loading of this show. What you want to smack down, John, instead of uh, this three hour edition of raw. Um, it was a good opener and good action, not a match with any sort of result that was in question. I think you're going to get that the more dominant, you know, this Uso's reign is, but it furthers the Kevin Owens bloodline feud. And to me, the, the best part of it was solo Sokoa and the continued push with, with him. Yes, big angle involving Solo coming afterwards. So Usos and Zayn continue to stomp on Riddle. Owens then fights them off with uh, chair shots, but never connects with Zayn. Zayn escapes uh, Owens' wrath, and Owens chases him to the back. But now Solo is left solo with Riddle, and he continues to attack Riddle and then hits him with the Samoan spike. Mm -hmm. He hits a running hip attack. And then places a chair around Riddle's neck. He backs up into the corner and dude, the, the man like just channeled Umaga. Literally, he like yells in the air, did all the Umaga mannerisms as he hit him with a hip attack to the chair in the throat. And Riddle is taken out on a stretcher and Sokoa, the just exclamation point on this segment was solo Sokoa looking at his work, putting his hoodie on and walking out with his hands in his pockets up yeah. the ramp. Awesome. Um, very cool look. And later, the announcers compared what was done to Riddle uh, as what the bloodline did to Randy Orton back in May, bringing up uh, Randy Orton's uh, injury that mm. he's been out for, for months with and probably will be out for more months. Um, but th- this certainly felt like a um, not just a one-week injury to Riddle. It felt as though um, this was at least writing him off um, – uh, unless he has a provision in his contract to now go to AEW. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that one. Um, this was awesome. Really? Uh, solo Sokoa. The, the high point of the show. I, I, I continue to be so impressed at how well they are injecting a brand new rookie up from NXT into the midst of the top heel faction of the company and not making him just feel like a rookie. He feels like he is very believable in the role of enforcer. He feels way beyond, I think, the level of experience that he's, you know, had, at least in, in, on a big stage. He feels so confident and so, like, capable of playing this, like, monster role within a group of Hall of Famers, you know? Um, I believe it when like he's the he's the strong silent guy who comes in and just dominates and you know gives the the heels the advantage to, to to end it. Great physical intensity. I mean the Imaga stuff I think has always probably been a point of comparison, but they dr- really drove it home tonight. And shout out Adrian here in the chat room who uh, reminds us that it's the anniversary of Umaga's death. So perhaps you know the the Samoan spike. I'd love it if he kept it, you know, but, but it, maybe it was, maybe they kind of played it up a little bit more looking up to the sky and everything because of, of that significant date. Of course, we, um, you know, we know, we know how much, uh, the Usos, um, have talked about Umaga in the past and 
um, it, it was a really kind of wonderful little tribute and um, I think a wonderful addition to his repertoire that continues to make Solo Sokoa very special. Yeah, this is a great segment, great angle um, with, with Solo Sokoa. And I think that, you know, he is one that I think whenever you get to, you know, whatever you are going to do with Sami Zayn, like he's an interesting piece in the whole thing is the guy that has sort of been like tight with Sammy right from the get-go. Um, you could have, you know, Solo Sokoa. It's like here is the bloodline have anointed him after all this time, Sammy Uso. What about this guy? Why have I not been given yeah. the same treatment? I guess we, we, we don't exactly know how they choose their names, right? Um, why isn't Roman Reigns an Uso? Well, he, well he's the head Uso, so that... Solo maybe, Uso just wouldn't sound that great. Maybe he's going to be a... Maybe he'll be announced as Solo Reigns. Yeah, I don't know if that's great either. No. Hmm. Anyway, um, this guy should murder Riddle when he comes back. That would be great. Uh, I mean, I would, I would think Riddle would, would, you know, be able to come back with a bit more uh, force than this. What, what do you think is going on here? Is, is Riddle just taking a Christmas vacation, or like is he going to come back with somebody? What, what's, what do you see for Riddle in, in the new year? Well, watching this show, the last thing I would be doing would be writing someone off voluntarily. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, like he, he did the match, so physically, like he's, he's fine. But I, at the very least. This guy should be off television for a week or two. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess we'll see there. If he's, if he's gone longer, then it might be indicative of, you know. So are we done with this Elias, like riddle, uh, ban storyline? Like, is, is this over? Yeah. I mean, we essentially did injury angles Hitting with the both bongs. of these guys. Yeah. The bongos have, I mean, had their, their last drumming, I guess. Jeez, that's, okay. that's it. They're done. All right. The Judgment Day are in the back, and Ripley addresses Asuka and Bailey, uh, who she would be. So we're going to have two triple threat matches involving the women, and then the winners will meet next week in Milwaukee to determine who faces Bianca Belair in the future. So uh, Ripley cuts a promo that she's coming for Belair's title, and the locker room will call her Mommy. Yeah. So we can mm-hmm. meet Chin and Mommy. Mm-hmm. Then we go to the first of a dozen poker invitational segments where pretty much um, what what is the 24-7 crew doing now? They play poker, basically. Um, and I would say if you are part of this segment, you're 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 in a certain slot, I would say. I'm not going to say you're, you're, you're below. You're probably not winning the Royal Rumble if you're in this segment. That is a that is a very, very strong prediction to make um a very safe one I would you're say. probably not even going to be u.s champion if you're going to if you're in this segment probably a good chance of that as well so dexter loomis shows up with the cash he won from the miz last week but he was not invited because this is an invitational but then pours all the money onto the table and thus he is welcomed into the game what did they think was in this do they tune out of the third hour of Raw as well and not realize this guy won all this money last week and was handing it out to kids? Do they not pay attention to their own part? What, what do you think he brought here? A bowling ball? Of course he had money in there. And thus he poured it. Oh, it's money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The whole basis of the last three months was getting the bag. And he got the bag. I mean, they were playing poker. Maybe they they were tuned out last okay. week. So more, more of this to come. Just... 
edge of your seat drama as the cliffhanger left us going to the commercial break I, of what, I think what I would ex- happen next. I think I could, I would excuse it more if it was like a holiday show. You know, you had maybe some reason for the writers to take a week off. And I don't know, like something like this feels like much more comedic and therefore a bit more, I don't know, suitable for a festive situation. Like just for 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 a time fill sort of edition of Raw, like this really just kind of felt like pretty lazy. Maybe they consider Advent, the whole season of Advent, a holiday. Maybe. They're taking December off. Bailey comes out for her match, but before it can begin, Becky Lynch comes down through the crowd, and uh, they didn't bother speaking with any fans this week. Uh, We did not get to hear from from any of uh, the the No bobs. No bobs. And she says that Bailey, uh, for over three, it's been over three years since they've had a singles match and acknowledges Bailey carrying the company during the Thunderdome era. And Bailey doesn't care about their past. She doesn't care about the people, referring to Becky, like I do. But the crowd chants for Becky, and then Becky calls her a loser, says that Sky and Kai are the ones who have had success, and you are a loser. Okay, then. Let me uh, let me have a match to prove you wrong. So Becky goes to leave and then Rhea Ripley walks down. So they have a face off uh, on the aisle. And then Becky makes her way to the back as we set up our three way with Asuka involved here to determine who would be the first participant to go on to Milwaukee next week. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Sowing the seeds here for, you know, obviously a Becky versus Bailey match uh, in the immediate future, but also for a Becky versus Rhea Ripley match. I thought Te- Teasing two- a bunch of stuff. And, you know, this is the time of the year you're starting to nail stuff down. And, you know, stuff like this, you're probably gauging like the fans like reaction to some of these teases, especially like the Becky Ripley thing that certainly, you know, you know is being done for a reason and not something they're going to pay off in a week or two. No, no. I mean, I still feel like the direction is, is likely Becky and uh, Rhonda at Mania and probably Rhea and Bianca. But um, it doesn't mean you can't get to this in the meantime or maybe even afterwards, you know, for a SummerSlam or something like that. Uh, it feels just seeing the two stare down each other. It feels like a money match. You know, it feels, both personalities feel like they're at least Rhea Ripley feels like she's peaking right now, especially as a heel. Her presence has just been incredible over the past year. And uh, it's really nice to have Becky back as a baby face because I think you have all this potential. She, uh, sorry, like she's living up to her potential as, you know, um, uh, as far as like big, big matches. So Ripley and Becky is not a December 19th type of match for you. I, I don't think so. No. So we have the triple threat. Ripley hits a cannonball off the apron. Ripley then warns Bailey not to boss her around, so they get into it. Asuka returns with a double code breaker, and then Asuka missile drop kicks Bailey, gets the Asuka lock. It's broken up by Ripley, and then there is an armbar by Asuka onto Ripley. Bailey comes off the top with an elbow drop and hits the Bailey to belly on Asuka. Ripley then drops Asuka off her shoulders and drop kicks Bailey off the apron. Another cannonball as Ripley leaps off the steps, missing Bailey. So Ripley spills on the floor. Bailey races into the ring where the Bailey to belly is reversed and Asuka lights her up with spinning back fists, misses with the missile drop kick and is prone for the rose plant as Bailey pins Asuka in 15 minutes and 17 seconds. Um, they certainly went out of their way to protect Ripley in this finish, not just by being outside of the ring, but then uh, attacking Asuka and hitting the riptide afterwards. So leaving Ripley as strong as possible as Bailey escapes with the win. 
Yeah. Part of me wondered if like they should have went with um somebody else instead of Bailey to win this one, because I think having Bailey be in the match next week kind of telegraphs what the finish is because we've already seen Bianca versus Bailey, you know, a couple times now. But I mean, I'm looking at sort of like the group and the, the outside of Nikki cross there you don't really have another heel you know that i think people would buy to you know at least be in a big enough match for next week so bailey makes sense um ria i think they want to save you know they clearly don't want her taking any pinfall losses and that would include next week as well and um yeah it was fine match was okay i'll say like the audience i think definitely for this match and definitely for a lot of the other matches on the show they were really not engaged um or not as engaged as i thought they would be especially considering i think the star power relative star power in a match like this so yeah yeah it's 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 one of those tricky things where we're trying to build to like a a secondary title match while keeping the stars involved in this, but protected and away from it. And it's almost like, well, they're not going to give us Ripley and they're not going to give us Becky because that's too big of a match to do with Bianca at this particular time. So mm-hmm. um, that is what they are tasked with. Seth Rollins comes out and the crowd is singing along. And next week he will take on Bobby Lashley in a number one contenders match to determine the next challenger for the United States championship. So Lashley is out, and Rollins says that he has not been the same since losing to Lesnar at Crown Jewel. Can we just pause? So Lashley comes up this week, and he's slapping fans like he's high-fiving fans on the way out. And I guess, like, I've seen it debated whether or not he actually turned heel. I I felt it was pretty conclusive after Crown Jewel that the man had turned heel, you know, after losing to Brock Lesnar. Um but today was a complete, you know, he was full on baby face slapping fans hands and Well, what's you know, Seth Rollins? He's a baby face as well. He's a baby face too. These are both baby faces. Yeah. Okay. He so he antagonizes Lashley, telling him that you lost to Lesnar at Crown Jewel, which he says <laughs> it's okay. We've all been there. <laughs> We've all lost to Lesnar. And asks, Are you scared of Brock since he's bigger than you? And stronger than you. And he's trying to get Lashley upset. Or are you jealous since Lesnar is a bigger star, won more titles, and he had the career you wished you had? You small-time former TNA champion Bobby Lashley. That was a fighter. He did beat Brock. Yeah, but um, it doesn't matter because Lesnar is a bigger star. That's what Rollins told us. So the win doesn't gotcha. matter. Okay. Um, Rollins says that he knows that he can't beat Lesnar and it leads to Lashley attacking him and they fight and there's a pull apart with the officials running down and then Lashley breaks free. He goes, he misses Rollins and Spears, who Kevin Patrick yells, a producer who is bestowed with a name, Pete Williams, not the former Pete Williams of the lion's den, but Rather Petey. It was Petey. Okay, because I, I thought it was Jamie Noble, Noble and I, I missed that they had. Uh, no, no, it was Pete. But I oh, guess Petey, he's outgrowing Petey. Pete. Okay. Pete. I wonder if it was like somebody who had appeared on WD. Like if it was like a Jamie Noble, what they have called him by by name. I don't know. I, I, I thought this would actually be Noble because um, I know Noble's coming back to wrestle this Sunday um, in uh, Charleston. Right, yeah, this could At have been your angle. He could have he could have lost to Bobby Lashley in three minutes. That's right. Yeah, I thought this was like kind of their way of building up to that um, house show match, but I guess not. No, no. Well, maybe, maybe Pete will do a run in. Maybe, 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 maybe. A Canadian destroyer. He took quite the spear. He did. 
Byron Saxon is backstage with Austin Theory for his reaction to the segment we just watched. This man's nowhere near a television, but he saw the whole segment that we have just cut from. He calls Rollins and Lashley the past. The business has evolved and forgotten about them. He holds the cards. He turns to his left, and there's Mustafa Ali, just standing around. And Theory calls Ali a complainer. He didn't want to go to the poker game, clearly. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, he were, he turned out he got a much better uh, fortune than the others. Yeah. So yeah. Theory just tells him, why don't you quit? <laughs> Ali said, listen, I've had my contract frozen probably multiple times. Do you know how hard it is to quit this company? Yeah, follow me. I've tried. Yeah, there's no provisions in my deal, okay, to get out if someone else is in management or not. So Ali says, I'm not like you. I fight for my opportunities, and I will become champion. And Theory says, okay, I'll give you a title match tonight. Ali's Ali's like, cool. I don't have to do what Rollins and Lashley are doing next week. I I don't have to have any triple threats and face a winner. This is how easy it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We'll we'll meet in a couple minutes. Cool. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. This is very easy for him. He, he I mean, the guy his his the blocking of this man backstage was perfect. Mhm. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> Back to the poker game. Back to yeah. Chad Gable folds and then he explains to us how poker works. Gallows calls him a nerd. So Gable yells shush, and they go back and forth with this. I thought I was just going to throw my laptop against the wall. And Corbin is facing off with Loomis, and he calls him Freak Show. And he thinks that Loomis is bluffing with the with the hand he has, and he's going to send Loomis back to the loony bin. And Loomis beats him, so Corbin accuses him of cheating. So Loomis pulls out an axe. It's like, okay, this segment might have some redeeming quality. Tozawa, we cut away. We just leave. Like, they, we leave the axe. And the, the axe was supposed to indicate that, like, he, I mean, that was his threat, his silent threat, that he would well, chop them all. I was ready for him to start swinging. Hmm. Yeah. Tozawa wins the hand at the other table when Dominic says, Akira, this is my show. And Akira is having none of this. And he calls Dominic the problem. So Dominic stands up. You're almost as short as my deadbeat dad. And that leads to our first match that gets set up from the poker invitational as Dominic steals the chips and runs off. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, man. Um, I... Uh... As a way to to get the roster on television, I I think- oh what 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 joy these <laughs> careers were enhanced by. I'll tell you this, okay? Dominic was above this segment. Oh, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Certainly, AJ, I would classify uh, in, in that in that as well. Um, I think as a way to get the roster on TV, I I, I might classify this slightly better than a twenty four seven segment, um, because I don't think you're a complete joke just because you're here yet, but. God, if these continue, they take so long too. You know, a twenty four seven segment at least is is a bit shorter. But man, these were just so. There was very little redeeming value from them. Like we've seen some good ones in the past, right? That anytime they've had these sort of like backstage parties, there's been something clever. We might get a cameo from like a legend or two. 
I mean, this was just like really predictable kind of lazy writing to get to these matches. This could have been Duke Hudson's big break. The, the, that was how many gimmicks ago for Duke Hudson? Like three or four? Yeah. The poker player? Yeah. Remember the live poker game they did on NXT? I don't think I watched that. No. (laughs) Austin Theory against Mustafa Ali for the U.S. championship. So Ali lands a, dude, Ali took a pounding in this match. So he lands a dive and he just gets thrown into the barricade. Then he goes for a top rope Hurricane Rana and he slips and just crashes down and you know, they recovered fine and then he followed with a satellite DDT, but that's always a, uh, um, a move that mm-hmm. uh, could have been Very worse. Dangerous. Yeah. Yes. So Ali's attacking him, climbs to the top, is knocked off balance and then he's hung upside down. Theory attacks him with kicks when all of a sudden this, this was the best. They're zoomed in on Austin Theory, who's got to pretend that he doesn't see this human being enter the ring and stand next to him and set up for a super kick as we zoom out. And this man just is next to him and super kicks him. And Austin Theory is none the wiser. Like he has no peripheral vision and gets hit for the DQ in 804. So Ziggler is upset with Theory. Ali is pissed because he had his chance at a U.S. title that was gifted to him, and Ziggler messed it up. So then Theory shoves Ali or shoves Ziggler into Ali. They crack heads. This looked nasty. And then Ali falls down. And then there's Ali gets thrown into the post so hard that Corey Graves says that's the hardest I've ever seen someone thrown into the post before, which is covering some ground because they love this spot of throwing a guy shoulder first into the post. And then Austin Theory hits A-Town down to Ziggler. So to recap, Ziggler's brilliant p- plan resulted in Austin Theory keeping his title. He's now pissed off Ali, so you're doomed for main event matches. And then Austin Theory made his own comeback on both these dorks and left standing tall over these two. I was like, this was brilliant, brilliant babyface booking of Ziggler and Ali, who could not have been larger jokes if they had a poker game right after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's very funny. Again, like they, these uh, matches – um, really just kind of feel like they're time fill matches, you know. Look How at this it? guy in facing the hard camera. He was blown away by oh, this. This great, was just classic. He loved he loved it. But um for the most part, I mean, this was booking, I think, straight out of the prior era, you know, just to kind of extend this thing that people probably didn't care that much about into the next week. Uh they could have just had, you know, theory beat Ollie, and maybe they should have, you know, especially coming off of a title. Like, uh, you know, starting a new title reign, he'd need some clean, strong wins. But instead, they chose to, I guess, protect Ali to give him another chance, Um, you know, probably next week in a triple threat match. Or maybe they're going to do a number one contenders, another number one contenders. They're already doing a number one contenders. You know what? They don't do enough number number two contenders matches. That's it. Yeah, maybe they'll have that. Um, But maybe more likely it's it's some sort of triple threat. It's it, 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 you look at the the roster, and as much as I love Mustafa Ali, and Adrian in the chat tells us that Ali cut a great promo on Twitter about why he wants to be U.S. champion. That's <laughs> I mean, wonderful. Say, say that again. Like, Please say that again for everybody. Okay. Ali cut the greatest promo on Twitter about why he wants to win the U.S. title. Like awesome. that would have been far more productive than C- I couldn't think, fit you know. into this. We just had too much. There's too much crammed into these three hours. Instead, they just kind of choose to tell these like very lame duck stories and very predict with very predictable run-ins with like motive from baby faces like Dolph Ziggler that don't make any sort of sense. Um, it, it just feels like, you know, we're, we're booking to fill time. We're booking to get to the next match so that we could get to more other matches after that. 
JBL met with The Miz. This was The Miz's whole involvement on the show. He was not invited to the poker invitational. So JBL uh, apologizes for this oversight and just tells him uh, it's a $50 buy-in. But Miz informs him, I don't have any liquid cash. <laughs> no liquid cash. No. And he's good for it, though. He's good for it. And Miz offers him his Rolex, to which JBL observes it's a fake Rolex. So we are to believe that the Miz, all of his earnings, okay, after <laughs> 17 years in this company, it was all in that bag. And now he's poor. He is now uh, Baron Corbin of a year ago. I mean, you, how much money was in that bag? Do we know? Everything. We have, everything. everything. Yeah. Wow. You it, just it was took it like all there was uh, his, his pin number was was written that down there on a piece of paper as well. Loomis oh, has cleaned them out. Well, I mean, uh, you know, they. Uh, I know they're they're very heavily invested in real estate, and, and uh, times are tough. Times times are tough. Uh, there's a bit of a recession going on right now, so maybe that's it. Maybe um, we'll get some some holiday vignettes of the Miz at home with, and he's gone broke. I think ex- exactly what we need. Yeah, I, I I will say like I learned something in this segment. You know, JBL was able to identify that it was a fake Rolex because the the second hand ticks. And um, doing a bit of research, um, automatic in on automatic watches, um, hands are supposed to sweep smoothly. All Did right. not know this. Maybe today. JBL's had some history with fake Rolexes. Oh, maybe. Yeah, sure. I don't know. If you're going to buy one, I'm sure you should know what you're getting into. Do you always have liquid cash on you? Um, I do, like right now. Um, but no, not usually. No, not much. More poker. I'm not kidding. Corbin is caught cheating by AJ. So they start to fight. JBL screams about no fighting in this room. So yet another match is made out of this tournament. They all take off except for Loomis and Gargano who are left alone with the axe. For Johnny Gargano to state, I guess we won and takes all the money on the table. This dude has just, I mean. uh, Oh man, what happened? Like, is Vince secretly writing these shows? What's going on? Like, this was like, it's worse hearing you repeat some of this stuff. And to think that Johnny Gargano, somebody that we had so much hope for coming in, uh, being reduced to just like Dexter Loomis's money counter, basically. Like, what's what's going on with this? I don't know. This guy needs uh, skis for his trajectory of where we have gone from Toronto to Washington, D.C. several months later. Yeah. Kathy Kelly interviewed Bianca Belair. She's excited to take on anyone. That was about the gist of it. It's like, who's going to win next week? I don't know. AJ Styles, Luke Gallows, and Carl Anderson against Baron Corbin, Chad Gable, and Otis. Uh, JBL's on commentary. Um, it's very funny to see where we've gone from JBL from the beginnings of this run with Corbin, where he just, those first few weeks, he just buried everybody. And now it's, <laughs> it's like, AJ Styles, future Hall of Famer, just not at the level of Baron Corbin. So it's uh very much put them over and then take the jab at them. I mean, it's 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 fine. Um, this crowd was like in in a coma. Uh, but these guys, they work very hard to try and get this crowd. Um, that by the end, like it, it was a very good match. But by the end, but my God, was this crowd just checked out? And I do not blame them. I don't I blame them. I was out how of much? This how much show. can you? How much can you care about a match built off of a, a, a poker game disagreement? 
This match had everything. This had JBL on commentary. This had a shoosh versus nerd off between Gable and Gallows. We had a Grand Naniwa reference by Corey Graves mm-hmm. regarding Gable's crab walk. Then uh the referee misses the tag to Gallows, which my God, if this were uh if this were Jim Crockett promotions in uh, 1987, dude, this crowd would have uh, lost their mind. This was like the easiest tag spot. The guy that gets the tag and the ref misses it. Flatline. Just nothing. Yeah. There was not a pin drop that you could even detect here when they did the spot. Anderson and Gable are in. Gable rolls to the ankle. Uh, Gable was very good in this match, as was Carl as well. This guy, this guy's getting ready for Hikuleo next week. And he escapes, hits the spine buster. Corbin breaks it up. Uh, then or- Otis suplexes Gallows. I mean, not, not a sentence he stayed every day. Phenomenal forearm to Otis. Then Gable hits a release German dropping AJ on his chest. And then Gallows saves Anderson from the American automatic. They hit the magic killer on Gable, win the match, and JBL screams that they cheated. So, uh, in, in the end, this, um, you know, there, there was too much talent in the, in this match, but they had to work overtime to get this crowd just to have a morsel of reaction late. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say like even by the end there was any sort of redeeming value to this. Like I get a match of this quality like fifty times a week. So to like work from such a deficit of me not giving a shit to like oh the action was decent, so that I might you know uh, compare this to the other fifty good wrestling matches I'll see in the week. It was not enough. I I, I was so turned off by you know the lackluster build, the, the lack of stakes. The, the terrible segments in the back and just the real lack of consequence by the end of this that I just I really c- couldn't care. What if Gallows had pulled out a deck of cards and revealed his his secret hand of uh, aces and eights? Well, I, I, I mean, that that would have changed things a little. Yeah. Alexa Bliss is warming up. Uh, the only significant part here is that the screen flickered in the back with the Bray Wyatt logo. So. Still, uh, yeah, uh, definitely, you know, teeing some sort of a Bray Wyatt association with her as she uh, reenters the spotlight. Yes. So so don't get behind her going for this championship too much because, you know, there's an angle coming. Saxton interviews Candice LeRae. So she came back. She beat Dakota Kai. Now she's taking on EO Sky next week. And she says she's new to Raw, but I've known all these women for a long time. They injured me and I had to send a message. I'm a new mom. And I have more to fight for now. I won't let anyone push me around. And then in walks Johnny Gargano and Uncle Dex. And with this exchange, I think the uh, the die has been cast. Because Johnny Gargano utters the words, Hey, wifey. And Candace responds, Hey, hubby. Oh, God. It's over. It's over. <laughs> okay? Oh, man. This was the most cringeworthy exchange I can recall on a wrestling show in ample time. As Johnny Gargano shows Candace the bag of money and Candace, who I guess is making minimum wage like The Miz on Raw, has never seen money at this exorbitant amount. Gargano's like, dude, I could have gotten AEW. You think I came back here for nothing? She's just like... She cuts off the interview with Byron at the sight of this money. She's about to drop an F-bomb on live television at the – these bills, all of these hundreds, you have this money? Now, 
wasn't this all the money that Dexter previously brought to the game? Did he win more? Oh, was he there- won more. He won more. I mean, they took the chips, like they won the game. So I, I would, I would assume they exchanged so was the she, chips. Did they cash out? Was she seeing yeah. the chips? I, like, would you I, have this reaction to chips? No, I, 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 I think the assumption is that they did cash out. You know, you had the the poker dealers there, and and probably what, what are the gambling laws in the District of Columbia? I mean, that's 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 a question for JBL. You know, was this was this game licensed, um, or was it more underground? J, um, JBL better watch out. He better be paying attention to this UFC story. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at this point, um, I, I'm just hoping that like Candace doesn't get dragged down with Dexter and Dar- Johnny. Oh, dude, this is, this is a, this is a, a unit. Oh, man. It's just like, I think Candace has, has been doing a good job, you know, from last week, her reintroduction showing a lot more aggression in that match with Dakota to this interview where, she states like she's getting into the whole, Hey, I, I have a kid now. I have a lot more to fight for. I'm taking her seriously. And she's giving people a reason to take her seriously as a contender and as a, as a spotlighted baby face. Um, and then man, enter like the rest of this bullshit, um, with Dexter and Johnny Gargano. And I just can't believe I'm even saying that, you know, this was, that, this was brutal, just yeah. brutal. Have yeah. you ever walked into a room and said, Hey, wifey, not yet. No. Maybe I'll try, try it. That. Try it. See if yeah. hey hubby is the first words out of her mouth. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Akira Tozawa against Dominic. <laughs> this third hour of Raw. Dominic uh, was compared to the Pete Davidson of WWE by Corey Graves for uh, the women he attracts. Yeah. So officially a couple. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We've determined they're a couple. Tozawa hit a shining wizard. Didn't work. He missed the biggest senton in the world off the top. Ripley laughs when he misses, and Dominic hits the frog splash to win in 251. Crowd did not care about the match, and really what reason would they have? You know, Akira Tozawa is a 24-7 guy who uh, I they've not given us much reason to. Like, we, we see him as a lower card guy. Um, there's heat on, on Dominic, but really only against the right opponents, um, and Tozawa is not one of them. This was just another match. I'm just bracing for the Christmas home visit by Dominic and Rhea. Home for the holidays. Oh yeah, you think they'll be they'll they'll, they'll be able to go back? Um, they won't be welcome back, but they will try. Every major holiday, yeah, we need to see it. Bauer then instructs Dominic to continue beating down on Tozawa when the Street Profits run down to save Akira Tozawa. Adam Pierce catches up with Bobby Lashley. Um, they had this conversation about, I know it wasn't on purpose that you speared Pete, but, uh, don't, don't do it again. And Bobby says, why not? Or, or well, or else what? And Adam says, well, I'm not going to punish you, but if you do it again, my hands are tied. And, uh, this was a confusing conversation. So there was a mild threat here and Bobby said, uh, he compared himself to a lion and he, he, he said he wouldn't punish him for this instance, but if it happens again, he would have to. Okay. So it's probably going to happen again. I think Pierce is going to get speared. That's what I think is going to happen here. Way true. Totally. Yeah. So doing an authority versus Bobby Lashley angle, uh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on next week in Milwaukee. It's Lashley against Rollins, uh, Bailey against the winner of our main event here. And then Candace LeRae, 
the wifey taking on EO Sky. And our show um, concludes with Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, and Becky Lynch. Nikki disappeared for a while. Then Becky disappeared for a while. Uh, we got a Bliss cannonball. A lot of cannonballs on this show. Uh, Tower of Doom spot by Becky as Bliss took the superplex. And then Cross sets up Bliss for a draping DDT. Becky, she has added a new uh, move to her repertoire. After that top rope leg drop during War Games, she has now added leg drops off the turnbuckles as like not just a finisher. It's just a basic transition. She did one off the second turnbuckle. Then she did another here. She, she, she's always done leg drops, diving leg drops. She's doing them more uh, more regularly, and I don't I don't feel she was doing them as much as uh, like now. She did like two of them alone here. I was like, I don't I don't know if we should be uh just just making these these are not fun bumps to be taking over and over multiple times. Anyway, so uh, they double team. There's a double team spot on Bliss here, and then Cross and Becky fight on the edge of the apron, and Becky hits a uh, a poor handle slam, as I will call it. The mm-hmm. crowd groans. Not at the manhandle slam, but at the fact that damage control show up. This this reaction was it was such a, uh. <laughs> and then damage control yank Becky to the floor. She tries to fight them off, but then they hoist up Becky. Finally, get her up and power bomb her through the desk. I didn't think this desk was gonna break, but it did, and that leads to twisted bliss onto Nikki Cross. And Bliss wins in 16 minutes and 32 seconds, setting up Alexa Bliss to take on. Bailey next week in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should also note uh, Bliss teased the sister Abigail in the match, and that moment got uh, a big reaction um, from the audience. One of the few reactions I have to say, because um, this was disappointing to me. You know, I did not think it was a good match, and I don't think it helped that the crowd was relatively disengaged in the show as an entirety by this point, but even for this match. And that surprised me, considering this was Becky Lynch coming back, you know, and you think that the the crowd would be a bit more there for it, but no, they weren't. The match was a bit sloppy, um, but it sets a, it sets us, you know, on a course with uh, Alexa Bliss kind of back in into the spotlight. It'll be Alexa versus Bailey next week, and you would expect Alexa to win that as she heads into a title match with Bianca Belair, and maybe that's where we'll get the Fiend stuff. Yeah, I think that that's what people are going to be looking at is Alexa. Alexa probably gets the title shot with Bianca Belair. It's a more fresh match. And then it won't be Bailey again. No, I don't. I don't see it being Bailey again. So there you have it. Um, a super long edition of Raw, but this wasn't just long. I, I thought it was like a pretty poor edition of Raw. I thought yeah. the first hour satisfactory. I really enjoyed the solo Sokoa angle with Riddle and the tag title match. But beyond that. 5,000 poker segments, some terrible handling of baby faces. It's just a show that, um, man, it, it just feels like a very thin show on Raw. And this roster, it should not feel like that. I, I think, like, um, it would have been, this one might have been like a standard Raw of a year ago. I, I certainly have, like, different expectations now, you know, for Raw. And this was quite awful, I have to say, in comparison to, like, you know, what I think I expect from the show now. Um, and, and it, unfortunately, like, it seems to be a part of a trend. Like, Raw has not been very good for a while. Um, maybe with some exceptions, maybe with certain matches being the exception, but like, for the most part, like, it feels like we're regressing back to what Raw used to be. And this was the biggest example of it. This was like the most pre, you know, Triple H Raw that I've seen up until this point. Yeah, and like the high point of the show was like the SmackDown involvement of like a SmackDown act in the Bloodline. Yes, totally. like take that take that out of this show. Yeah, 
a uh, a show that just um we're we're gonna we got so much feedback we're gonna limit it to one here from Saeed from Vancouver. <laughs> a very weird raw. The OC and Tozawa seem to have switched feuds for a day. Why do I have a feeling we are getting broke Miznet? Well, they flat out pretty much told you that. I quite enjoyed the backstage promo between Theory and Ali, and the match was very physical until Dolph returned. While Alexa was getting ready, more Wyatt teases, and then during the match, she tried to go for her sister Abigail. She, uh, Saeed thinks that Nikki will ruin and interrupt the EO Sky Candice LeRae match next week and asks, when would you do Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch? I would save her for SummerSlam. You know, honestly, at this point, I mean, I guess like Rumble is justification for them to have a big match. Obviously, like whenever they go to Saudi Arabia, that, that's some justification. But I think it's big enough for I, I think they should both be kind of favored in the Rumble. And they're I don't know if they're yeah. the last two, but they should be in the final four. And you you do need two women's contenders for those for, for your two titles. So one can win the Rumble. Another wins the Elimination Chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, you could certainly do that. You could have Rhea and Becky together in the chamber, but I feel one of them's winning the rumble. So that would yeah. probably cross out one of them, but I, I would, I, I'm with you. I would hold off the singles match as much as you can. SummerSlams, that's a long way to go, but it depends when they're doing the draft too. Like if these, <laughs> not that it matters. What am I saying? Well, I think myself. Yeah. They could be on separate shows. <laughs> what would happen? Ray is the yeah. only person honoring this, this brand distinction. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would have them both in the rumble as, uh, as favorites and, and hold off the match as much as you can, especially if you have, uh, different directions. If it's, you know, Becky Ronda on one show and Rhea, Rhea Belair or Rhea. Or maybe they'll do it in four weeks because who knows if they can make it to eight. You know what? December 19th yeah. isn't booking itself, Wade. December 19th right. is as big a night as, as any night. Okay. Yeah. Like, honestly, if this show is any indication, it's going to be long build towards, towards the rumble. So. Man, uh, we have one super chat here from MJ who sends two dollars to say, didn't you guys used to do three minute raw reviews for the law? Yes. Yes, we did. Raw in three minutes. Um, maybe, uh, we'll try raw in one minute, you know, in the age of TikToks and re- reels and shorts. Um, I could do it. I think I could summarize this raw in a minute. You could, but I don't, I don't think it'd be as like, um, I wouldn't be able to get it out of my system. You know, as much as I, I, I feel now. Okay. Well, we're going to go to our neutral corners and recover from tonight's episode. And then we will do it all again Wednesday night after Dynamite, which is in, uh, they're in Texas somewhere this week. Cedar Park, Texas, I want to say. They've got a big Texas swing for, for the next, uh, two to three weeks. They've got a uh, final battle in Texas. Winter is coming next week. Uh, so, so a lot of Texas dates coming up. They'll go home show for final battle. That's right. I guess, I guess Di- Rampage would be. Yeah. We'll probably have notes, uh, cause Tony Khan is doing a conference call on Wednesday to promote final battle. So probably some news coming out of that on Wednesday. Um, so there, all that and more. Again, Tuesday night is up next, which is still the name of their Tuesday night show. And where can people catch Braden Davey Tuesday night? Tuesday night for the last time, you will be able to catch up next on the existing up next feed, which is now called the Poison Rana feed. So if you're already subscribed to it, stay subscribed to it. You'll just know that it's it's now Poison Rana instead of up next. And that's because they intend on filling this feed with a whole lot more other stuff uh, in the weeks to come. So stay tuned for that. But uh, this Saturday, you will be able to catch up next from that point forward on the post wrestling feed, this very feed that you're listening to right now every Tuesday. 
All right. And uh, final plug here for the Post Wrestling Cafe. Again, we have three bonus shows coming your way this week. Uh, $6 gets you in the door and access to all of the bonus shows that we put out this week. And uh, coming up this month, uh, we will be doing a new edition of Talk. We will also be releasing the five-year anniversary show uh, exclusively for all cafe members. So postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can uh, sign up. And yes, WWE superstars from May of 1992 as chosen by Robert Brocky. And we do have three spots open at the espresso level if you too want to choose an event from a random year at a random time featuring random curses and random police attacks. One more plug here for our friends at OSW Review, who on their Patreon, Nagaryu, have released their latest requested review, and that is of Spice World. Who chose this show, and why are we talking about it? Do you want to know the, the story behind this this movie? I'd love to, but uh, of course, this was the choice of John Pollock, who specifically requ- requested Jay Hunter and V1 to review Spice World. I cannot tell you when I made this request. I have no recollection. I have the emails. It was quite quite a while ago. It was like well, years years ago. Well, they got around to it. God bless them. Yeah. Go check that out. Uh, this out. I will. I will be uh, checking this out. But in 1997, I went with two of my friends because we wanted to go watch Spice World, and we took the bus there, and decided uh, who who waits for a green light in this day and age. So we jaywalked across the street. I get to the island in the middle of the street i turn around and my friend is laid out on the street he has been hit by a car and i'm like oh shit so so he gets up but it's like it's a whole thing like the police have to come they've got to question him and it's like at the end of it like me and my other friend are sort of like like what do we do now like the movie's in like 30 minutes or so and we're like you still want to go to the movies like I, th- I think we'll still go to the movie. He ended up like, Oh my God. He ended up like having like a rib injury and stuff. It's like, it could have been a lot worse, but this was like 13 year old me going to watch Spice World and my friend gets hit by a car, but we still made it to Spice World in 1997. And, and thank goodness you did. Cause, um, you have plenty of memories. And in fact, John actually appears on this review. So go support our friends at OSW review. I appear on this. Yeah. Did you recorded something for them? Did you not remember? <laughs> Dude, that I have absolutely zero recollection of recording anything for this. Really? If I wow. recorded something for it, it was probably when those emails were sent. Uh, that's my guess. Yeah, really? Wow. Okay. Well, you're you're in court for quite the surprise. Video or audio? Audio. Audio. Okay. Okay. Now, now you have me intrigued. I will check this out. <laughs> OSW review. Uh, check it out. Uh, our friends on their Patreon. Yes. Yes. All right. That's it for us. Good night. Goodbye. Um. Play some poker.